All right, if we would turn to Second Peter, chapter one. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter one. And I'm going to look at start at verse fifteen. This isn't something new, but um, things I've preached before, but some new things thoughts added to it. But Second Peter chapter one, verse fifteen says, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This voice which came from heaven we heard, when we were with him in the Holy Mount, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy is of, the, of Scripture is of any private interpretation. The prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So this afternoon, I'm going to look at our inspired authority of the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love and your mercies, and thank you for the, your love to us and preserving your Word for us, that we can have and study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. In other words, making correct application Comparing scripture with scripture that we can come to right conclusions concerning thyself and your commandments to us. So Lord, help us, we pray, to look into the word of God, to be encouraged and strengthened in our walk with you and a further, um, stronger uh, realization and understanding of the power and truth of thy word that can help us in life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter here is, of course, reminding those to whom he is writing. He said, I want you to, there's some things I want you to remember when I'm gone. And uh, he recalls to them the great experience he had on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew, I think it's in Matthew 17, where Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and they went up into the mountain, and he was transfigured there before them, and he glistened white like snow, as bright as the sun. They said you know, that's the, the record that we have of that experience, and and there came Moses, Elijah, and talked with him, and and um, you know they they fell on their faces, and uh, they were in the presence of God, and 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 then they you know Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's build a tabernacle for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was to say. You know, did you ever read in a place where you didn't know what to say, so you just blurt something out? You know, you just think something comes in your mind, you just blurt it out, and not you're not realizing what you're really saying. Well, that's what Peter. You know, Peter was good at opening his mouth and saying things that he wasn't sure, wasn't uh, hadn't thoroughly thought through. But anyway, so he just blurted that out, and really the idea was he was kind of making Jesus equal with Moses and Elijah. 
Then the voice came, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. You know, that'd be a tremendous experience. And only three of the twelve got to experience it. Only three. Only three people in all of humanity got to experience that. You know, only Moses was only the only man that really talked with God like a man talked face to face with his friend. You know, there's some great experiences, and this was truly a great experience. As you may have some great experiences in life, but understand something: your experiences are always subjective. You can't build doctrine on experiences. You build doctrine on truth. And Peter says, you know, that was a wonderful experience. However, there's something more important that you need to consider. That you need to take heed to. In verse 19, he says, We also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn and day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is any private interpretation. In other words, you can't pull a verse of Scripture out of the Bible and make it say what you want. You have to keep it in its context and it has to agree with the rest of the Bible. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. You know, cults build their doctrines, false religions build their doctrines on pulling verses of Scripture out of context and making it say what they want. No, Scripture has to agree with Scripture. You compare prophecy with prophecy. And they, if they speak not according to this word, it's because they have no light in them. Isaiah tells us. So, so it's no private interpretation. Uh, for prophecy, is the word of God, came not in old time by the will of man. We don't have just things that men wanted to write and wrote. You know, if you wrote what you wanted to write, and I wrote what I wanted to write about God, we'd have two differing manuscripts. Because you'd see things about God that I don't see. And you'd write things about God that you like. And I'd write things about God that I like. Why? Because we're human beings. We're not uh, perfect. And so, so it came not by the will of man. It wasn't simply the desire of men or the works of men. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now we call this inspiration. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says all, that, that uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that word inspiration simply means God breathed. And, and as you think about it, it says here that they, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That is, they were born along, if you will. Sort of like the, the, uh, uh, the ship is moved by the sail. And so... Uh, they were directed or guided by the unseen hand of God to write down or pen, God using their personalities, he used their gifts and abilities. You know, we have, we have uh, 40 or 41, I can't remember the exact count, 40 or so different authors in the Bible, human authors, um, men from different walks of life, uh, all Jews except possibly Luke, and you know, Luke may have been possible. May, some people see he was that maybe he was half Jew, but anyway. So uh, you know, there were there were men who were unlearned, according to 
the learned of the day, you know, uh, Amos was a herdman. He was a herdsman. He was not a prophet. He was not a priest. Uh, Moses, because he, he was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. You had Peter and John. Uh, they were fishermen. Paul was a very learned man and could speak probably five or six languages. He had gifts of languages. And, of course, Luke was a physician, so he would have been a learned man also. So, so you had all these different people, but they were all moved by the Holy Ghost. So that the Word of God, therefore, is God-given. It's not just a man's writings. Now, one of the things that I've been challenged with in the last five or six years, and I'm witnessing, is this, uh, particularly from Muslims, is that they would say that their Bible, quote-unquote, the Quran, is is newer, or I'm sorry, not newer, older than our Bible. It's so they feel it's uh, it's uh, truer to its source. And uh, I had a man say that moment. I said, "Really?" I said, "Well, this Bible I have goes all the way back to the first century." He said, "Really?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "Now it was written in Greek originally. The New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew." Old Testament was all written prior to the first century. But by the end of the first century, all the New Testament was completed, written in Greek. Now, it's been translated into English, but it's a word-for-word, as much as possible, word-for-word translation. But said it dates back to the first century. All these books, Revelation was written by the end of the first century. And I said, this is a, this is a copy, if you will, or translation and copied of what was originally given. And we have no originals. We have no originals. But, and I'll get to this, but God promised to preserve his word. And, and I'll get to that a little bit later. But, but as we consider about it, inspiration, you know, this book is God-breathed. And it does, it is, you know, some people say it's not, the, our King James translation is not the oldest. It is. goes back to the first century. But anyway, it is a, a divinely authoritative book. We also, verse 19, have a more short of prophecy whereunto you do well to take heed. You would do well to take heed to the word of God. Now, and here's why. I'm going to go on a rabbit trail here. Or a train with caboose. Let's go to John chapter 12. I'm going to look at a few verses here. It is authoritative. John chapter 12. And verse 47, 48. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So Jesus here is speaking to the Pharisees again. And he says, look, if, if any man hears and believes not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save when he came into the world the first time, he came to save the world. He came to die as the Savior to save us from our sins. He did not come at that time to judge. He came to be judged. In other words, he was judged for our sins. He became our judgment. However, when he comes the second time, 
he is coming to judge. And what he's going to judge us with is his words. He's going to judge us with his words. Notice verse, tw- verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Go to Revelation chapter 19. I want you to follow this through. Revelation 19. So we're coming to the last day. Time of judgment. When he's going to judge, start judging the world. In Revelation 19, it says in verse 11, I saw heaven opened. Behold a white horse. Again, this is all future. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now this is Jesus Christ, the judge. He's now coming to judge the world. And it says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Without question, Jesus Christ. Those titles are all given to him in other places in the Bible. So here he's coming to judge, and he's called, this, this one is called the Word of God, and out of, I want you to notice, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. And what does the Bible describe as a sharp sword? The word of God. Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and power and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So what is it that the Lord is going to use to smite and destroy the nations? Well, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed. That's speaking of the Antichrist that will, will come after the rapture of the saints. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. And with the brightness of his coming. It says the spirit, he's going to destroy him with the spirit. In other words, he's just going to speak the words. And the the brightness of his coming, the glory of God, is going to to, uh, destroy them. You remember in the garden, when the Pharisee, the mob came to arrest Jesus... And they, Jesus went out and said, hey, hey wh- whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And they all fell down. What you caught there is a little glimpse of the glory of God. Power of God on display. And they all fell down. Really, the word he in that passage is added by the translators. Really what he said is, I am. That's the name of God. Jehovah God, I am. And, you know, but in English, that's not a complete sentence, so it doesn't make sense. So the translators added the word he in English. But in the Greek, it's not there. 
But it means the same thing. But anyway, so he's going to destroy them with the brightness of his coming. Uh, you know, the psalmist said, and by the way, this isn't, this isn't something new that, as we think about it, the psalmist said in Psalm 33, in verses 6 through 9, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depths of storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. All the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded it, and it stood still. Now, with the power of his word, Jesus spoke to demons and cast them out of people. Just the power of his word. You know, he cast all those demons out of that maniac or Gadea, and they went, in, they went into the swine, and the swine, of course, plunged into the sea. Uh, just with the power of his word, he said to the sea, be still. And all he's going to have to do is say the words. He's just going to speak his words. And so he's going to judge. This is a divinely authoritative book given to us by inspiration of God. God breathed out, and that's a miracle of God, whereby every word of God is recorded for us exactly as God intended. Without error, without defect, without contradiction. Now, some people have gone through the Bible and tried to find contradictions, you know, and, there, and there's some, some places in the Bible where it appears there are, but if you understand it properly and interpret it properly, there are no contradictions in the Scripture. God doesn't contradict himself. You know, I've heard people say, well, there's a contradiction. You know, in, in the, in the uh, um, Old Testament, it says, uh, you know, thou shalt not kill. And then in the Old Testament it says, Thou shalt utterly destroy them. That's a contradiction, isn't it? No, it's not. Thou shalt kill means thou shalt not do any murder. Premeditated murder is sin. But to kill somebody who has murdered is not sin. Or as God told the Israelites and others at different times, to utterly destroy somebody because of their sin, that was a divine judgment of retribution upon them for their sin. And so God uses, what you see is in the, in the scriptures, God uses man to judge man until he comes and then he's going to be the judge. And men will serve him. Um, but anyway, so we have a you know, again, there's not, the, there's not the contradictions as some people say. Uh, and, of course, Jesus manifested himself to us through his word. Uh, you know, we, the, the word of God is, we believe in verbal plenary inspiration. That means every word, all of scripture, scripture is equally inspired. Even the genealogies in Second and First Chronicles are inspired. But, you know, those things are boring to read. And have you ever tried to read through Ezekiel? You know, the wheels and the wheels and the, you know, and all that. It really speaks of the omnipotence of God. And then you have the measuring of the 
you get into Ezekiel's chapter 40 through 48, and you have the measuring of the temple, and he, he gets into the waters, and the waters are to the ankles, and the waters are to the knees, and the waters are to, you know, and all that stuff. There's a lot of, lot of uh, 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 terminology there. It's difficult to understand. But to the Jewish mind, to a saved Jewish man, they, they can understand that because of the temple. But it's all about the future temple being rebuilt for the nation of Israel. So it all has a purpose. It's all equally inspired. There are some of it that is more profitable for us than others, and there's some of it that's written directly to us and some that is not direct, written directly to us. We're not Seventh-day Adventists, and the reason is we don't believe the dietary laws of the Old Testament were written for us. <laughs> um, they were written for the Jews. Uh, the civil laws and ceremonial laws of the, around the temple were written for the Jews. They're not for today because Christ ended all that. So anyway, but it is all equally inspired. It all speaks of Christ. It is all authoritative. In Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18, Jesus tells us that, that it's all inspired. It's all equally important when he said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So, so, you know, all of Scripture is equally inspired and important to us. And it is a, the Bible is a product of supernatural activity. So how do we come, you know, probably a lot of people ask this question, how do we come to know what is Scripture and what is not? Most of you have probably heard of the apocryphal books. There's even a book of Barnabas. Um, what's the other book that I saw some years ago? In fact, I have I have a book. It's called The Writings of Barnabas, I think it is. And, uh, and there's some others that were questioned as whether they were scripture or not. Well, the churches, the early churches decided, were given the wisdom to decide what is inspired of God and what is not. And, and again, we see this in John 17. Look at John 17 and verse 8. John 17. In verse 8. That's, that's, that's uh, verse, start at verse 6. I Blessed thy name unto the man which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest me them me. They have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So, so to understand what is inspired of Scripture, you know, Peter talked about the prophecy in old time. I mean, we might say that's the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't written. They were writing it when he wrote that. Um, in John 14, in verse 26, uh, John 14, verse 26 uh, speaking about the gospel, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So I believe that's talking about the gospels, what Jesus himself taught them when he was with them. And then in chapter 16, verses 12 and 13, he talks about 
more things that were yet to come. Verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So I believe that was referring to the epistles, which were as yet to be written after after uh, uh, the Lord went back to heaven. Of course, most of them, you know, they were written, many of them were written by Paul and um, Peter and John. Uh, so that would cover the epistles, the book of Revelation, chapter 16, again, verse 13, where he talks about things to come. Uh, and Revelation 1 talks about that. So, you know, the Lord Jesus himself believed that the scriptures were inspired and that they could not be broken. So Jesus put his stamp on the scripture saying they cannot be broken. Look at chapter 10, John chapter 10, and verse 34 to 36. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him, whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. He said, you know, the scriptures cannot be broken. Uh, they cannot perish. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Matthew 24, 35. So, and the scriptures are authoritative. In Matthew 4, Jesus said, we shall live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall man live. So, so these things, you know, teach us that the Bible is inspired and the Bible uh, cannot be broken and it was given to us by inspiration. Um, and the churches, the churches decided what was authoritative because they had, as John 17 says, they have received them, the disciples, the true churches. You know, again, as we studied church history, I made that graft. Um, the true churches kept the pure manuscripts all the way down to the present time. It was the false teachers started teaching false things, and then as the Roman Catholic Church was established, they, they come up with new um, manuscripts on their own, made changes and all those sort of things, and that's where all the modern versions come from. You know, it's interesting that all the modern versions come from the same family of manuscripts that the Roman Catholic Church uses and the JWs use. Why would we think that we would use the same manuscripts as false churches. Um, so, so this is what Jesus himself believed about the scriptures. They are inspired, they are authoritative, and by them we will be judged. We will be judged. And then I want you to notice the second thing. The scriptures are made understandable by the illumination of the Spirit of God. Now, Illumination refers to understanding of truth. Uh, like Met said this morning about, you know, the Spirit uh, uh, makes us see, has the idea of understanding or comprehension. And, and again, in, here in Second Peter 1, he says, We have also a sure mortar word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed. 
as unto light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Now, you know, without inspiration, we have no scripture. We have no authoritative word of God. Without inspiration. Without illumination, we have no salvation. If, if God's word is not made understandable to us, who then can be saved? Man is naturally blind. Spiritually. He's spiritually blind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he, they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And that word spiritually discerned means they're spiritually investigated or searched out. They're searched out and made understandable by the Spirit of God. And so man is naturally blind. Of course, we're blinded by the God of this world, Satan, by the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 tells us. This blindness is really unbelief. Look at uh, um, Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. You know, this blindness, like from the Pharisees, was because they refused to believe that he was the Christ, the Son of God. And so blindness is really an unbelief. It is a choice. Matthew 3, not Matthew, Hebrews 3, 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me and proved me, saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter in my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of... He didn't say error. He says unbelief. See, unbelief is believing error. Same thing as believing error. You know, unbelief is, is, is a rejection of truth. It's an acceptance of that which is false. And, you know, here in chapter 3 and chapter 4, several times he, he's, he talks about it. They had this spirit of unbelief because of the hardness of their hearts. They refused to believe what God said. Um, verse 18 and 19. To whom swear he that they should not enter into rest? And that, a rest speaks of, of salvation, resting in Christ. But to them that believe not. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. And it's usually the illustration of Israel who did not get to the promised land because they didn't believe him. They didn't believe God. They were unbelievers. Again, chapter 4 and verse 5. In this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some enter in, enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. So, so this blindness is really unbelief, and Israel is in unbelief to this day. And, and so illumination is whereby God reveals to us his truth. And we see an example of this in Matthew chapter 16, in the testimony of Peter as to the person of Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, you know, Jesus had asked, 
you know, whom do men say that I am? And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? In verse 16, in chapter 16, 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So he says, My Father revealed to you that I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. So his, his understanding had been illuminated or enlightening. Now how does this come about? Well, it comes about when we are open and receptive to it. Why did the Jews not enter in? Today, if you will hear his voice, what's the next word? Harden not your heart. The reason they didn't understand was because they hardened their hearts. Just like those Jews in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, when they, those, those ten, ten spies went into the Canaan land and they saw everything that Joshua and Caleb did. But what they failed to see was God. They failed to believe that God could actually give them victory over walled cities and giants. They didn't believe it. And they hardened their hearts against it. We don't care if God, yeah, God told us that's what the land would be like, and it's just everything is just like He said, but we will not believe that He can take us in. Josh and Caleb on the said, Look, you know, we just need to believe what God. God has said He will give us the land. Let's go in and possess it. See, the Lord had been selling his disciples and had been preaching to the Pharisees that he was the Messiah. And Peter, he's watching and he's beginning to examine this and he's saying, you know what? I think he's, I think, I think, you know, he's starting and he, he begins to open his mind to receive the truth and to believe it. The Pharisees said, no way. We won't accept it. He's not one of us. You know, he's opposed, he's, he's opposed us and exposed our errors. You know, many times people will refuse the truth or reject the truth because it exposes their sin. And Jesus exposed the sin of the Pharisees, therefore they were angry at him and therefore refused to believe who he was. No matter what he did. So, so the Holy Spirit, who brings us, convicts us of sin, he looks for sincerity in our hearts. Uh, look at, look at, I'm going to look it up real fast. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So there has to be, you know, for God to open a person's understanding, there needs to be some diligent, as I, as I mentioned this morning, you know, some study to investigation into who Jesus Christ is. We have to be open to it. We have to put forth some effort to examine who he really is, his claims. 
John 4 and verse 24. John 4 and verse 24. Speaking to the woman of the well. The Lord said, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And in verse 23 it says, But the hour cometh and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such. He's looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Who are willing to receive the truth. John seven seventeen. If any man will do his will. Alright, I want to know what truth is because I want to do it. If you want to do the truth, if you want to know the truth and we're willing to do it, God will show you what truth is. But if you're not willing to do it, the Bible will be a closed book. It is spiritually discerned. And look at Psalm 25. And this is one of my favorite passages. Psalm 25, verses 12 through 14. <clears throat> what man, Psalm twenty-five, twelve. what man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. In other words, notice again. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach. That is, him shall God teach in the way that God shall choose. So are you willing to let God have his way in your life? If you're willing to let God have his way in your life, He'll teach you. If you're not willing to let God have his way in your life, you won't be taught. And this isn't rocket science. That's the way it is in life. Do you ever say, you know, well, he just don't listen or she just don't listen. I mean, they hear it, but somewhere in between the two ears, it doesn't register. In other words, they're not willing to do what you say. I was talking to a man earlier this past week in Lowe's. We got witnessing to him. And we got talking about condition of spiritual things in the world. He said, and he's an older man, he said, he said, one of the things I find, I think, one of the greatest problems is the younger generation will not listen. They think they already know. They don't listen. They don't listen to authorities. They won't listen to the word of God. They just think they already know. And you know, that's being promoted today. Oh, we need to ask the kids who to vote for in the election. That's about the dumbest thing I ever heard. But I've seen preachers interviewing their kids that are 10, 11, and 12 about who they should vote for in the election. Do you know what Isaiah 3 says about that? That's a sign of apostasy when their children should rule over them. Women and children. See, we have to be willing to listen if we want God to teach us. When we say willing to listen, that means willing to do it. Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease. His seed shall inherit. That talks about the blessing of those who listen. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. See, God, God wants to reveal himself to everyone, but we have to be willing to receive the truth. We have to be willing to receive the truth. You know, illumination is not automatic. God never promised to reveal precious 
and profound biblical truths to anyone who will not search the Scriptures for himself. You know, how did Jesus defend who he was? He says, search the Scriptures. They are they which testify of me. So if you want to prove something in your life, you want to prove it's right or wrong, search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures. Because we do have all things that pertains to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. So, so we need to search the Scriptures. You know, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman, and he is not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. First Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere mark of the word, that may be grow thereby. You want to grow in the knowledge of Christ? Desire the word like a baby desires its mom's milk. Now, God does use man to help men and women, boys and girls, understand truth. That's just the way he does things. In Acts chapter 8, you have the Ethiopian eunuch on his way back to Ethiopia, riding in his government chariot, reading the Bible. Probably Isaiah 53. He had an Old Testament manuscript. He's reading it. He's thinking, hmm, I don't know who that's talking about. But I believe this man wanted to know. And I think he's praying in his heart, Lord, send somebody to explain this to me. What's God do? Oh, he doesn't send an angel. He sends Philip. He says, go join yourself with that chariot. And he heard him reading. Isaiah's prophet. And said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I accept some man should guide me? You know, you might be the man, the woman, that God uses to help somebody understand the scriptures. It's impossible for a lost person to really understand the scriptures. It's very difficult. And we see this practice over and over in the Bible. Cornelius was a devout man, prayed to God. He prayed to the right God. He saw God answer prayer. But what did God say in that answer? Send for a man who will tell thee what thou must know. Send for a man. And so, this is God's method. Uh, and so, and then we see here, last night, I've got to hurry. The scriptures have been providentially preserved. God has preserved his word. You know, Preservation refers to God's providential care of the Scriptures to maintain the purity of His Word through the ages. And we believe that we have the words of God. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words, the word is plural, words shall not pass away. Not one jot or tittle shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. It hasn't all been fulfilled yet. Now, a jot and a tittle is the smallest letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And if you ever saw Hebrew, it can get pretty small. So, God promised. That's a promise of God. You know, some people say that's impossible. He used men. He used men to, to, to keep that promise. But, hey, is there any limit as to what God can do? 
I mean, the God that can speak the worlds into existence, the God that can, can bring forth a, a baby from a virgin, the God that can calm the sea, can, can raise the dead, make the blind to see and heal the sick and the lame to walk. Why can't that God preserve his words using fallible men? Does that seem impossible? Not to my way of thinking. And so we have God's preserved words. And to it, you and I will give an account. We'll give an account. Are you prepared? We have. We can rest in confidence that we have the eternal words of God. But we need to be willing. Just having is not enough. We're willing to receive it. Willing to obey it. That we might understand and know the truth. And that we might be used of the Lord to help others understand it also.